This morning's message, Paul's boasting. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. We're going to finish the chapter. We started this last week, uh, uh, speaking of spiritual warfare, as it's found there in the first six uh, verses of this uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But verse 7 here forms, I think, a very fitting introduction to this morning's message. Notice it again. Look at what is before your eyes. That, that's interesting. See, see what's in front of you. Consider it. Consider the facts. And as we stated in the previous message, this last section of 2 Corinthians is Paul's offensive to expose his critics in Corinth. They were wielding a great deal of influence upon the people of, in the church at Corinth. And they were basically saying that they were truly Christ's followers and Christ's uh, leaders and that Paul uh, was a phony, should not be listened to, should be cast off and rejected. But uh, Paul argued here that they were now pushing him into boasting. This was what they did. They were the boasters. Paul was not. But Paul said, Dave, they provoked me into it, so I'm going to have to kind of play by their rules for a little bit here. So he said, uh, they provoked me to this, and that now he's taking the offensive. They, they have something to boast about? Well, let's look at what I have to boast about. See? Consider it. Consider what's before your eyes. So they had argued, we're Christ's, and Paul is nothing. Thus, to, to them, Paul asserts there that, uh, in that verse, if anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so are we. They, they claim that they're followers of Christ. So do I. So do I. And uh, the... Fact here is, and this is how the world plays it. The world plays this this way all the time. The most successful way to undermine a person's influence is to raise questions about that person. If someone has been powerful and influential in your life, then the enemy is going to do the, what he can to destroy that person's influence. And the best way to do so is to question their character. To question their character. So if his enemies can convince the Corinthians that Paul is not a genuine apostle, his followers will stop listening to his teaching. Paul responds that any legitimate investigation into his credentials would instead validate his claims. And here's the problem. The problem here is the standard by which things are judged. The standard. What standard do you use to judge whether a thing is true or false? Right or wrong? And as I said, things have not changed. Humans don't change. The same 
methods applied there in Paul's day are applied in our day today. And that's why we're involved in this spiritual warfare. This spiritual warfare is not one of uh, shedding of blood so much as it is of destroying character. And Satan would would, uh, love to do his best to destroy the character of all God's servants and replace them with uh, phonies who think they are doing God's bidding when they are not. There are two kinds of stand. There's two kinds of standards. There's objective standards, and there are objective standards, subjective standards, and objective standards. And that's the problem here: is that these false teachers were using externals, outward appearances, subjective standards to impress the Corinthians. If Paul's critics have the right then to make their claims based on their own rules, which is these subjective convictions, then Paul argues that he also has the right to use the same rules. Whether it's right or not, Paul says, I'm going to play by their rules for That's what he's basically saying here. I'm going to play by their rules for a little bit. So listen up. If, you're, if you want to draw your conclusions based upon external appearances, then look what is before your eyes. And consider this. They claim to be Christ. So do I. I was... And I may have used this illustration, I don't recall uh, where, but I, I may have used this illustration already, so if I did, forgive me, but I'm going to use it again because I think it illustrates the point here. I was looking at this uh, uh, lady who was expressing her dismay. at. Uh, she said she was developing a friendship relationship with an individual who is a transgender, using the pronouns they and them. <laughs> I saw what I saw. What interesting! The patrolman had pulled this woman over, who was driving by herself in the express lane. You have to have three or more in the car to to be in the express lane. And he pulled her over, and he said, "Ma'am," he said, uh, do, you, "Do you understand the rules?" She said, "I, officer, my pronoun is they and them." <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, this woman had uh, said to uh, had this this transgendered person that she was apparently having a, a, a communication with it through social media uh, had expressed that their pronouns were they and them, and so then he who was trying to put put himself off as a she uh, <laughs> said to the to the young lady. Uh, what and what are your pronouns? She she said, "I she and her. I am a woman." And you know what his response was? "You're a bigot." What? <laughs> that was her red pill moment. She said, "I'm just playing by the same rules. <laughs> you you want me to accept you on the basis of who I claim to be?" But you won't accept me on the basis of who I claim to be. 
You know, if we're going to play by the rules, let's play by the rules. And that's the problem here. That's the problem with subjective standards. Paul had the right to claim uh, his standing based on their same rules. While, where, whereas we, we, we don't believe subjective standards are sufficient. They certainly are not sufficient. The appearance of things. There are a lot of great churches out there. They're filled with hundreds of people. Big bands. These preachers that get up and preach to them who, who are, have big names. And we look at that outward appearance and we say, there is where God is working. That's an outward appearance. And they look at us and they say, ah, that's a nothing burger here. That's not the issue. The issue is what's good. what does God see? What does God consider in this matter? And as we noted there in the first six verses of this uh, chapter, spiritual warfare is waged not by the impressive soldier who claims to be in God's army, but by the actual power of God. Do you, do you understand? This is what Paul is really emphasizing here. We have, we have the power of God, Paul says. I have the power of God. The weapons of our warfare are not according to the flesh. That is, according to subjective and external and outward appearance standards. We don't wage war according to the flesh. And though we walk according to the flesh because we are in the flesh we do not war after the flesh so the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh they're not carnal they're not earthly standards but by the power of God we have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's not how good I look. It's not how expensive a suit I wear. It's not how eloquent I may speak. It's not how uh, influential I may appear. But the question is, is God's power involved in the preaching? Is, it, is His power at work through the ministry? That's what Paul's saying here. That's what destroys strongholds, not my arguments. In fact, it says we, we destroy arguments. The world lifts up its arguments. And Christians destroy them. How? Not by their cleverness, but the power of God. It, it's just amazing to see God's how God's power works and silences people who think they are impressing everybody by outward appearances. So we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Against the knowledge of God. Uh, sadly, there are many evangelical Christians and evangelical churches that think that worldly standards 
are better than God's standards. And they use those standards to, to attract their audiences. But Paul says the power of God is there to bring every thought captive to obey Christ and ready to punish every disobedience. I'd rather have that kind of power. Much rather have that kind of power. On the other hand, one who operates by the power of the Spirit of God is effective while it may not appear so. And this, see, here's the, here's the thing that's going on with Paul. Notice, they say, in fact, he starts out here, I, Paul, myself, entreat you. And I pointed this out last week. That word entreat is a powerful Greek word. It means I am, I am demanding that you pay attention to this truth. This is not something that you may or may not want to consider. This is something you are required to see. So I, my, I, Paul, myself, I, I, I like that. I, Paul, myself, he's, this is an emphatic. Entreat you. Listen up, folks. But how does he, how did he appear to them? Weak? Base? No, he said, I came to you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ himself. And notice, no, no, he said Christ, not Jesus. I came, I came to you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Christ was the one that they expected would be the most powerful leader. He would be dynamic. He would be awe-inspiring. And that's why they kept asking Jesus, Are you the Christ? Are you indeed the one that we're, that we're looking for? You don't look like it. You don't appear like the, like the uh, Messiah that we're hoping would come and overthrow these Romans. And now the same, they're, they're applying that same standard to Paul too. They rejected Jesus and they hung him on a cross because he didn't live up to their expectations. Now Paul is facing the same kind of thing. The meekness and gentleness of Christ, he said, who am humble when face to face with you. That's my appearance to you. I'm, when I'm with you, I'm just this humble guy. That doesn't appear to be so much, but then not so much so when I'm away. In other words, as he spoke later, his letters are weighty and powerful. Boy, when he writes to us, woo, we sit up and take notice. But when, when he's here, we're saying, is he really an apostle? He sure doesn't look much like one. See, that's the point here. But Paul said, look what's before your eyes. What is the power of God accomplished? And that's what we want to see here. Look what is before your eyes. The Corinthian saints we're on the receiving end of the power of God. That's the point. And he reminds them of that. So there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes, 
In every way you were enriched in Him, in Christ, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are, were not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, in the meantime, see, will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of Christ is coming. We want to see the day of Christ right now. Well, we, but I want to tell you, this is not something that we really want to see. It will be a spiritual bloodbath. But we're waiting for it. We're waiting but we ha we're sustained by the hope that we're guiltless approaching that day. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What they were looking for the first time is coming. That's what Paul's saying here. When he, when he did come, you said, ah, this is not the one. No, you don't want the one that's coming on the day of the Lord. Not now. What you need now is the Savior who says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and gentle of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. We want a sympathetic, kind Savior, not a judge. We want Him to take our sins and in His own body on the tree so that He might say to us, You're free. You're now without guilt. You're, and you will be sustained in that unto the end in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how? By our, our ability? No, we walk in the flesh. It is God who sustains us. And God is faithful by whom then you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what He told them in the beginning. So he, he's bringing it right back on them. Look what is before your face. Consider your own experience. How did you get where you are? As one commentator expressed it, and I like this, there are people who now, who, uh, now who physically, mentally, and financially seem to be Nothing. But in secrecy, they have developed an intimacy with the Lord. Right now, they're proverbial ugly ducklings. They don't fit in. They're not acknowledged. But in that day, they will be beautiful swans. What a day it will be when those people who have been pl plugging away and seeking the Lord, rather than getting breaks in this world, will... Hear Jesus say to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. That's John Corson's from his uh, application commentary, which is found in Logos Bible Software uh, in, in this particular commentary. So now Paul also then warned against judging people prematurely before the day when all things will come to light at the Bema seat, 
and, and the award stand of Christ. Ah, he's nothing. Just wait. Just wait. So Paul argues there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. And that's our tendency. Our tendency is to draw conclusions before the time. Don't do it, Paul says. Because when the, that time comes, God, the Lord, will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. If one is prone to judge people by unbiblical standards, let him remind himself that he will face the Lord about that on the judgment day. I, I you know, we, we all walk according to the flesh, and, and the tendency is sometimes to become very discouraged. The Lord encouraged me the other day by I, a notice that came up there about our, did you know our church, our church has a Facebook page? I bet you, I bet you many of you don't even know that. Know that, but we do. We have a, church, a Facebook page. I, I, I looked at it because it, it references that you, you have uh, five new followers. So I clicked on that. To, I said, five new followers. That's interesting. Do you know how many followers Calvary Baptist Facebook page has? Two hundred and eighty-five. Followers. They don't come. <laughs> but they're people who follow us. And we post our mess messages up there so that people can link to them as well. And I am amazed at how many people listen to our messages on, on uh, sermonaudio.com. All over the world. We, we may be doing a far greater work than we ever think that we're doing. So Paul here then gives plenty of objective standards in these final chapters of the book. We, we talked about how because of this seem, seemingly radical change of, of uh, content and emphasis in these last four chapters that some have argued that this was a, a separate book that was attached. I don't believe it was. I believe Paul had accomplished what he wanted to and with respect to the people in the first uh, nine chapters and now he comes to the tenth chapter and he says, now I can't leave this business of these false teachers in your church trying to influence you. I think too much of you. I'm confident, Paul said, I'm confident personally that you belong to God because I've seen what God has done with you. That's what he means here when he says, look what is before your eyes. What has God accomplished among you? And that has to, that's what we've got to consider. So Paul gives plenty of objective standards in these final chapters of the book. And note also that Paul's motive for defending himself was not personal. He said, I don't care what you think of me. 
It's not, it, what you think of me is not important. It's what the Lord thinks of me. See, that's the important thing. So, but rather, Paul is, was interested in defending the, the Corinthian church against the heresy. So look at uh, chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, where Paul says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Not concerned about myself, but I am about you. Since I betrothed you to one husband. You're walking with Christ today because God brought me to Corinth and I preached the gospel here and the power of the Spirit of God worked and God converted you to Christianity. You pagans, you Gentile heathen are now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the power of God in the preaching of the gospel when he brought me to you. I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Here's what I'm worried about. You're tolerating these false teachers. And I, I believe that they were, the, they were Judaizers from Jerusalem who were constantly following Paul and going to the churches that Paul had established and their sole purpose was to destroy Paul's ministry and influence among you and, and convert these people to Jewish thinking. And he says this was a, this was an issue of Satan, of a, Satan deceiving, <laughs> like Eve was deceived by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a pure, sincere, and pure devotion to Christ. That's one thing I have against the uh, the messianic movement in among uh, evangelical churches today is it's. It's moving away from a pure devotion to Christ to a following of Jewish tradition, observing feasts and days. And Jesus is no longer the, the Christ, uh, the, the Savior of mankind. He has become the Messiah that, among all the other Jewish issues. And that I disagree with totally. So, the verses now before us, Paul lays down the, the most important objective. It is the Lord who accredits and commends his servants. And that's where he closes the chapter. And I note verse 18 here of this chapter. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And there's the standard. Has the Lord commended his servants or do they commend themselves or are they commended by others? It's not the one who commends himself, it's the Lord who commends them. So I'm going to show you here from this passage two, two, my two main points are the necessity or the necessary uh, necessity, excuse me, 
of supposed boasting. Paul talks about his need for boasting. In fact, I titled the message, Paul's Boasting. We don't like braggarts. <laughs> People who brag on things, uh, they're not very well received, even in our society. So uh, when Paul talks about boasting, he, uh, we say, Paul, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be going around bragging. But that's what boasting is. But he uses that because he's going to, he's, remember, he's operating by the same rules that they have uh, established. I said, okay, if, if, uh, if I've got to defend myself with you, I'm going to play by their rules for a little bit. Although, he said, it's not the man who commends himself, that brags about himself, but it's the one whom the Lord commends. So, what, that, what, we notice in the first, uh, from eight, verses 8 through 11, the necessity of this boasting. And they hear uh, Paul plainly declares his God-given authority in verse number 8, which reads, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up. Now, see, here's, 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 the, here's a, an important point. Paul's not bragging on the fact that, man, I am a preacher who has the power of God on me. So please listen up, invite me to be speaking to you as often as you can, because I am a preacher of God. That's not what he's saying here. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, and now he's remember he's playing by their rules. Notice he says, the end. What what I'm really seeking to do is to build you up, edifying you. God brought you to himself through my preaching of the gospel. And my responsibility to you after you have become a believer in Jesus Christ is to see you built up in the things of Christ. So if I've got to do a little bragging here, I'm going to do it. But not for my sake. I'm not trying to defend me. I'm trying to defend the gospel that I've preached to you. So that you can continue to be built up in the gospel. Get your eyes off of them. And get your eyes off of outward appearances. And start looking to the Lord and to Him alone. And then notice the second part, phrase there. And not... For destroying you. The word destroying there, and here's one of those areas where I kind of disagree with the translation. The, the destroying there is the word casting down. It's the same word that's used back up there in verse number 5, where, where uh, he says, We destroy arguments. And literally, we, th- we cast down arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So here he's using it in, in, the, in an opposite sense. I'm, I, I want to see you built up, not cast down, not, not thrown down. See, this is, the, this is the point of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is 
the casting down or the throwing down of arguments and so forth raised against the knowledge of God. But here, I don't, I don't want their false teaching to throw you down. But rather, I'm concerned that you be built up in the things of God. And so Paul is really saying here, he said, I will not be ashamed. He said, if I have to do this, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. And what he's saying is, although I would rather not, I am forced to boast here. But he did not fear the shame, for he was confident that his authority would never be found to be without foundation. Check me out. See what's before your eyes. He could show that he was truly armed with the authority of Christ rather than those who claimed to be Christ. I follow Christ. I mean, th this is what he was really dealing with there in that first chapter. He said, I hear that there are divisions among you. For some of you say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Cephas, Peter. Others say, I follow Christ. And Paul's response to that was, is Christ divided? All of these men were God's servants. Paul, Apollos. Apollos was apparently an eloquent preacher. They liked to hear Apollos. And Apollos preached in in uh, Corinth. And I'll bet you there was many times when, when after Apollos was done preaching, they said, boy, I'd much rather hear Apollos than Paul. <laughs> he was eloquent. Powerfully eloquent. And they said of Paul, he he's kind of stumbles around and he's kind of a weak looking fellow and he's not really he doesn't he his his preaching is not powerful. That's encouragement. And then some say I follow Cephas. Well who's Cephas? Cephas was the Jewish apostle. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the... And, and he uses Cephas, his Hebrew name. Because he's here, he, and I think that's, that's uh, in this, and notice the next one. I follow Christ. Not Jesus. Christ. That tells you that uh, the, of the Jewish delegation here that seems to lead, have led this party. Because there were those who said, Peter's, Peter's a true apostle, although they criticized him too. Remember when he went to the household of Cornelius? Peter, don't you know it's against the rules to eat with Gentiles? He said, fellas, I'm going to tell you something. I went there and the same Holy Spirit that came on us on the day of Pentecost, came on them in his house. But they regarded Cephas as a legitimate apostle because he was the apostle to the, to the Jews. And, they, and so then, and I follow Christ, the Messianic Jesus, who's going to destroy Gentiles, not save them, 
was going to wipe them out in order to establish David's throne in Jerusalem as the capital of the nation. So that tells you something. See, that, that, that in itself t- tells you something. But secondly here, Paul's evidence uh, of, of his God-given authority is demonstrated then in, in verses 9 through 11. I do not want you to want to appear frightening to you with my letters. Uh, he said, I, I, I'm not interested in just scaring you with empty threats. Now remember, Paul's letters were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Holy men of God spoke as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. When Paul picked up that pen, or actually he, he dictated it, but when Paul dictated his letters and they were penned, it was, it was Paul's words, but not. It was the Holy Spirit inspiring, breathing out the very word of God. It's the word of God that's powerful. And that's what Paul is saying. I do not want to appear frightening to you. His letters were frightening, but it wasn't because of Paul. It wasn't Paul that made them frightening. It was the Holy Spirit of God. They were the word of God. And he said, and I'm not doing this with just empty threats either. For they say, notice, here's the argument. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily appearance is weak and his speech of no account. We'd rather, much rather hear Apollos than, than Paul. So Paul then says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. There is no difference. There is no difference. I'm the same Paul. See, this is the problem. They're judging by subjective standards. Paul says you can't judge by subjective standards. You must judge by objective standards. That brings me then to uh, the second, my second major point here, and that is legitimate boasting. What would constitute legitimate boasting? And this he describes in, in the remaining verses there, verses 12 through 18. So we three, I see three things here. First of all, there is a warning against self-imposed standards. Verses 12 to 14. Not that we dare to classify or to compare ourselves with some who are commending themselves. Boy, we see a lot of that. Here's old, we need to get old brother so-and-so. Because look at all. He's got these, all these letters after his name. He's got all these impressive uh, resumes. commending themselves but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another they are without understanding it's like that like that woman who was trying to deal with that uh, transgendered person who then called her a bigot because she just wanted to follow her own, <laughs> follow her own perception of who she was I'm a woman and I go by she and her you're a bigot because by the by the very statement 
she was judging the they them person. <laughs> That's the problem. So I got to lie? Those who measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And that is our tendency. Oh, I wish we had brother so-and-so for our preacher. He's really eloquent. He's judging by external standards. But Paul says, we will not boast beyond limits. We're not going to boast beyond limits. But we'll boast only with regard to the area influence of influence that God has assigned to us. What, is, what did God assign to them? To reach even to you. <clears throat> I'm asking you only to look what is before your face. Look at see what see what has been accomplished. Where where are you today? Are you born again? Received the gospel? Saved out of paganism? Established now upon the principles of the word of God? Did that come to you because of my appearance? Because of my dynamic abilities? Or was it the word of God that did it? See, I, there's an area of influence that God has assigned to me. And it's reached to you. For we are not overextending ourselves. I'm not, I'm not trying to make something more out of this than, what here, than what's here. As though we did not reach you. <clears throat> For we were the first to come all the way with, to you with the gospel of Christ. And I tell you what, when Paul went there, he was nervous. He was, uh, he was afraid. God had to come to him himself and said, Paul, don't worry. They're not going to set upon you to hurt you. For I have much people in this place. Yes. For we were the first to come all the way with the gospel. So that, see, that's the first warning. Don't operate by self-imposed standards. Operate only by the standards of the word of God by the true standards not by appearances second we have here a warning against claiming credit for for another's labor and that we see in verses 15 and 16 and that's part of the problem here is that uh, these people were now trying to claim credit for what Paul had accomplished among them so he says, we, don't, we do not boast. See, when, some of what Paul says here is really directed at his critics. And here, this is one of those state, statements. We do not boast beyond the, the limit in the labors of others. In other words, Paul is saying here, I'm, I never take credit for what God has done in another person through another person. I, that would be wrong for me. To accept credit. But that's what they're doing to me. They're accepting credit 
for what God has done through me. I wouldn't do that for them. Do you understand that? Do you see how wrong that is? He's telling them. Do you see how wrong that is? Think about that. Where did you hear the gospel? How did you hear the gospel? Who did God use to bring you the gospel? But we will not boast beyond the limits, but only boast with regard to the area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even to you. See? So we do not boast beyond the labor, the limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that our, as your faith increases, and how's our faith going to increase? Through the Word of God. Not Paul. Through the work of the Spirit of God. Not Paul. Or these false teachers either. But it, that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. And, and what he means by that is, I, what my heart in prayer is that you will understand that God has, has given to us the authority in this matter of the gospel, myself, Paul personally, so that when you begin to grow in the grace and knowledge, that you'll look back and you'll say, yeah, God used Paul. Not in any sense of bragging, but in the sense of reality. So that you, you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. And, and I think there's what he's saying here, and, and again, you have to understand his thinking here. But he's saying, in effect, and, and he's just dealt with that back in the ninth chapter, that as God has raised you up, then you will be a powerful influence to seeing the gospel go beyond you to, to distant lands. You'll be supporting the work of the gospel in a, in a true way as God has designed through sowing and reaping. He that sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. See, this is God's principles. So we are not then overextending ourselves as though we, excuse me, I'm reading the wrong place. Uh, the, our sphere of influence uh, that, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Paul said, I am not going to take credit for any churches that God's established through another man's preaching. And finally, there is a warning against self-glory. And boy, if this isn't a real problem in the churches today. Look what I have done. Look what I have done. So verses 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I like that. You got anything to boast about? Boast in the Lord. Four. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved but the one whom the Lord commands. Who's commending whom? 
Who's commending whom? Father, we, we are grateful, Lord, for the privilege of, of considering your word this morning and to having the word of God through the spirit of God build up our faith in you and our confidence in you and not outward appearances, but the reality of what is promised and planned by the sovereign will of God and revealed in the Holy Scriptures. So we pray, pray God, that you will bless this day as we continue now in our worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 